coming back to your question about how you build a brand, you build it by really understanding the context in which we evolve. And then, and then from this strategic, rigorous, disciplined approach, you can then build a strategy that actually makes sense. Rather than saying, I'm going to do X, just really ask yourself why you're doing it. That's the most important thing. This is the CMO and Joe podcast. We interview today's most inspiring chief marketing officers and savvy marketers of lucrative direct-to-consumer companies, bringing you insightful stories and tips on marketing, sales, branding, and much more. We bring you the best lessons from the best. Let's get started with your host, Joe Momo. I'm super excited to have my next guest on the podcast. He actually helps hypergrowth companies build and structure the marketing teams. He's also advised many uh, startups as well, high growth startups. And he's actually leading a really awesome high growth start- startup right now at Flinks. Welcome to the podcast, Simon. Thanks for having me. I'm super stoked to be here. Yeah, let's, let's jump right into it. Uh, tell us about yourself. Uh, you have a pretty outstanding background. Uh, so yeah, let's just jump right into it and let us uh, know how you, uh, what you're up to. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I don't claim that my background is anything exceptional, but I think it's a, it's a story of, uh, I guess, a story of someone like many people that chose a uh, different life, right? Moved, uh, moved country and tried to rebuild something and ultimately uh, have some success doing that. So that's, uh, that's pretty cool. So I hope, I hope that that could be of, uh, of service. But yeah, I guess my story is uh, I, I was born in I was born in France uh, a couple of years ago now. Um, getting old, you can see the, the hair. <laughs> um, I, um, I originally have a scientific background. Um, I studied uh, biology for a little while. Went into podiatry school. So for everything that was like more med, like med school, essentially. Um, and I, I, I hated it. So I... Uh, I decided to just completely switch career and, and life essentially. And so I, uh, I moved, uh, I moved from Paris, uh, France, which is, uh, my place of origin to, um, to Montreal, Canada, um, started, uh, started study again, went into, uh, marketing, specifically fashion marketing, and then kind of built my career from there. Um, and what, what a lot of, a lot of, um, I think people don't know is really my career started way before even I studied med school. Um, you know, I like to say that I, uh, I started marketing when I was 12 when I, uh, I, uh, I, uh, you know, some funny anecdote I was, I, I was, I was a pretty nerdy kid and I was playing magic, the gathering, like a lot of other nerdy kids. Um, and I essentially, essentially from there, like became active on forums. Right. And I was like, that was like late nineties. So forums and, um, you know, online communities, places, and became uh, a moderator and essentially started to do community management before, before it was even a thing. And so how that relates to like my, my, my moving to Montreal is, um, when I, when I moved, I, I immediately started to kind of put together that was my ability to understand like brands and all that stuff. And I started like doing a lot of missions on the side and freelance and helping kind of 
you know, cool people doing cool stuff, build their community and manage their community online. Right. Um, and so when I, when I, when I finished studying, I had already been doing web 2.0, how they used to call it at the time, which was all the rage and all the bands were like, Hey, you got to do social media. Um, as I had already been doing this for a long time. And so I, I allied the two, the two together and I went into e-commerce, right which makes sense for someone that has done brand and online community and studied a little bit of fashion, marketing, buying, merchandising, and all that stuff. Um, and so I, yeah, so I went into e-commerce. I worked for a brand called uh, Naked and Famous Denim. It was a pretty cool uh, Canadian brand selling um, Japanese salvage denim made in, so made in Japan, but built in Canada. 250 uh, point of sales, 60 countries. And essentially my, my task was to manage their, their e-commerce. And, um, so I, I, I arrived, you no, know, there's one website that left. We had three websites doing 10 times the amount of sales. And I essentially did everything, right? Like I, you know, in the morning I would, in the morning I would fulfill the order. Literally I would print the order form and go in the warehouse and put them in package and send them through UPS and say hi to the UPS guy. And, you know, in the afternoon I would take pictures of, Take pictures of, of Bezad, the the, the right hand man of this, the CEO in, in the jeans, and make a blog out of it, and do a social media strategy out of it, and the brand strategy, and the content strategy, and when collection came out, I would take the pictures and white background and detour them on Photoshop, and just just pretty much doing everything right. So, um, as I was doing this, I started becoming more interested into um, performance marketing, right? really more the digital side of things um, because that's, that's a lot of, was, that's a part of what I was doing. Um, and because of my brand experience, I had felt that I started to kind of revolve a little bit of myself, like revolve around myself a little bit when it came to my knowledge of, of, of social media and brand and content and all that stuff. And so I essentially left the fashion world to go work for a, another Quebec company called Gsoft. Um, so Gsoft is a, is a brand that not a lot of people know. Um, because it's a it's a uh, umbrella company for two products, um, one called Sharegate and the other Office Vibe. And Sharegate is essentially the worldwide leader for cloud management. Um, so at the time they were doing like cloud migration, so helping people move to the cloud, and so transitioning to the model of helping people manage the cloud. So that was like back in 2015 to 20. Um, 18 for me, which is what really when people started to like really go into cloud and really adopt, you know, a remote workplace and digital workplace and all that stuff. And so, um, I guess in the same way that making famous, I got lucky a little bit. I, I really arrived at GSoft, that Sharegate really at the right time. And it's still a small marketing team. Five people came out of a growth hacker, as they call it at the time. <laughs> so funny, yeah. It's, it's like a yeah. term we don't use anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how things uh, change. Right. Um, and essentially kind of built like the help built the entire inbound flow. Right. Um, so there's like already kind of a strong system in place and just kind of enter, optimize it and, and, and build on top of it. And, uh, you know, I arrived, there was a, uh, right under a seven figure a month MR and I left, we were doing, um, 3.5 times that MR. So really humongous growth, right. So, came from, you know, under, under 10 million to, to way over that, um, AR. Uh, so 
a super interesting experience also seeing the business scale, the team change practices, um, moving away from the growth hacking to the more digital strategy, doing scrum mastering, doing all this things. And essentially when, when, uh, when for me, the GSOF adventure felt that it came to an end, I decided to, well, I decided to just move to another opportunity. I, I wanted to do the same that I had done. And I felt that GSoft and, and Shagat and, and the maturity that this business had taken was, 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 was really there. And I felt like I needed to take a step back again and, and do that again for another business, uh, but this time from scratch. And that's what I did with Flinks, which is the business that I am with now. Um, so that has been a pretty incredible adventure so far. <laughs> wow, absolutely. That's an uh, adventure and a half right there. Um, from working yeah. at that uh, company, 3Xing the MRR, which is monthly reoccurring revenue for our listeners who don't, uh, who right. don't know. So that's pretty amazing stuff. Uh, maybe you could jump into what sort of things you're doing at Flinks right now. Uh, what is Flinks? People listening that don't know what that is, uh, maybe you could share a little bit more about it. Yeah, I'm so glad you're asking. Um, so Flinks, we're, um, we're the financial data layer that powers modern finance. So what does that mean? It essentially we do two things. We help businesses get their users to connect their bank account within their applications so they can use that data and get better service in return. Mm-hmm. And we can we help them as well enrich this data, make it more actionable, more usable, which essentially powers more use cases and opens the world to innovation. So concretely, what is, what, what is it? It's I'm Mr. User and I want to use, I'll use a client. I want to use Wealthsimple, which... Uh, you Canadian, I'm pretty sure you know, um, really famous uh, um, investing platform. I'm going to want to use Flinks to connect my bank. So I click on my bank, I'll connect my bank, and then Wealthsimple can in return use the data that I provide to them based on my consent to provide me the awesome service that they're known for, which is fast onboarding, great product, great product um, articulation, great product recommendations. Um, risk management and all that stuff. And then we'll also help other businesses take this data pipe and then do a lot of things with it, like clean the data, provide a whole lot of what we call attributes, which helps them um, organize it um, in ways that they can consume it better, um, like provide like income ratios, um, you know, ratios of uh, deposits, is there fraudulent like activities on the account? Is the account doing zero to one, one to zero, zero to one? Um, is there any microloans on the account? How's the behavior? How's the transactional behavior? Um, you know, is there a government deposit? Is your income over the last year? You know, is it trending up? Is it trending down? Is it neutral? And all that data is really, really useful for businesses to be able to ingest it and actually do something with it. And that opens the world to you know, the ability for businesses to provide better service to the consumers, better loans, right? Like credit invisible people. Now you don't have to be a credit score. I can read your transactional data and with attributes and enrichment, understand that you're actually someone that's worthy to be given money for. Mm-hmm. Um, and be able to provide better wealth advisement, right? Because rather than collecting papers and asking you to give me paper every six months, I'll be able to collect your data automatically and 
especially my system automatically as well. Literally see your financial profile, like how much money you're spending, what's your income ratio. Um, you know, I'm a bank, I'll be able to provide you better credit card recommendations. So it's it's really, really transformational. Um, and I think, you know, Flinks is a, a um, you know, it's become a force in the Canadian landscape and it's just, just the start. Mm. Yeah. So you guys are hiring all the time. So you must be crazy growth on your end. So <laughs> I can anticipate there being more growth and more uh, innovation in the future. So that's uh, really great to hear. That's awesome. hundred uh, percent. <laughs> so you're leading marketing at this, uh, at Flinks. Uh, so I'm assuming you touch many aspects of marketing, whether it be brand, demand generation, product marketing, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, how have you yourself been able to grasp all this marketing knowledge? I know digital marketing for me, it's I'm always learning. I'm always finding new things, new tricks, new hacks. Uh, but for you, what's what's been something that's really helped you uh, really get to know the industry of marketing in general? Uh, has there been any resource, mentor, anything you read, listened to that you could share with the listeners? Yeah, for sure. You know, I... I I don't know if there's such a, a thing as a, as a hack anymore. Um, but I think, you know, I think we live today in a time where marketing is changing a lot. Um, I'll maybe give a bit of an indirect answer to the question of like how, how, we, how we should think about learning marketing and how we should think about marketing in general. Um, 2015 or 2013 to 2017, even 16, growth hiking was like all the rage, right? So on SEO, you were doing like link farming and then it became like the game of like the one that had the most backlinks, right? <laughs> yeah. And the game of, then, then it changed, right? It changed because RankBrain arrived and Penguin arrived. And so these algorithms changed how ranking became. And so inbound that was really based on SEO rankings completely changed. It also changed because Google introduced a whole lot of different things, right? It introduced feature snippet and then changed the ads. And so now, now, now you, you look at the, the, set, the SERP, right? That's the, the result page. Um, it, first of all, you can have five ads and then you can have a, a little bit of a feature snippet, like an image or the question box. And then you get your, your ranking. So even doing this has completely changed. Growth hacking has changed, right? It doesn't really exist anymore. You can't really growth hack. The best growth hacking is great product, the right place, the right time. And it, it did the same thing with everything else in marketing and advertising and product marketing and demand gen and content. So, and it, what it did is it, it's pushing us back as marketers into the realm of principle-based marketing, which is the idea of bringing it back to the basics. The right product, the right audience, the right time, the right messaging. And then you layer technology on top of this to help you do this. And so I think like the, the best reading that you can do today when you come to marketing, are not, not the growth hacker, not the marketing guru, but the people that really understand how to bring common sense into marketing. Because that common sense is what drives principle-based marketing, which then drives performance marketing, digital, SEO, analytics, and then you can have the data inform all the decisions that you make. But it's, it's a bit of a reversion, a little bit of what we used to do, which is like, okay, how can I hack? What's the data? What's the channel? And then what's the story? Okay, now it's not. It's what's the product? What's my story? 
what's my channel, what's my medium, what's my format, and then what's my performance coming out of it. So, you know, I think the 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 the, the best um, I would say readings and tips that you can get about marketing, specifically people that will help you understand how to bring common sense within what you do, which will then help you bring technicality and technology and all that stuff. So yeah, there's a few people that I really like. I'll, I'll obviously uh, cite um, Seth, no, Seth, Seth Godin. I think that's like uh, kind of the, the godfather of marketing storytelling, who at this point is more of a philosopher than he is a marketer. <laughs> For sure. Um, but I, I, uh, I really encourage you to write, to, to read his uh, blog, setrights.com. That's a incredible source of inspiration when it comes to understand the basics of storytelling and the basics of marketing. Um, I really enjoyed, um, I'm not sure you find influencers for that reason, but I, I really enjoyed one person on LinkedIn. Uh, his name is Dev Gohart. He is the, uh, he used to be the head of brand of the, the chief brand officer at Drift. Um, someone that's bringing a lot of common sense into marketing. And I think the last person that I would cite is um, Rand Fishkin. Um, so Rand is the ex-CEO of Moz, who's a, uh, not a, a, a SEO tool, like a famous SEO tool. And he, I find it to be really interesting, he used to be uh, the worldwide SEO expert. Mm-hmm. Um, and he essentially realized that the model has changed and that the best way to do the right SEO and the right marketing was to bring principles back into marketing. You know, he has a product now called SparkToro, which is super cool. allows you to understand uh, what your audience is really speaking about and like the themes and then who's they're following and uh, where they're going to read their stuff. And so, you know, coming back to that, like principle-based marketing, right product, right audience, right place. So these three person, I think that's like, if you want to bring some, uh, common sense to what you do. Like these, these are the, these are the people. <laughs> I love that common sense marketing. Uh, you forgot one person, uh, Joe Momo. No. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> um, no, but I was, I love how you say common sense marketing. I think there's lots of noise out there that could get really misconstrued in, in what's really happening in today's day and age and the landscape of digital marketing. You mentioned yeah. SEO content. Uh, I'm curious for you, uh, Simon, what's maybe one platform or tactic, digital marketing tactic that you've used or are still using that's really producing you results or some a platform that you really uh, like? Yeah. So I think it really depends on your business model, your product, what, you, what you're doing. Like if you're more like a PLG brand, like a product that like growth um, brand, that's going to be one. There's going to be an answer, multiple answers. If you're more of a sales-driven organization, there's going to be an answer. Like I think it really depends on also how people buy your product. Um, I'll talk to Flinks because that's that's the example that um, we can try to relate to. But Flinks is, um, you know, we're an organization dealing with financial data, which is a sensitive thing, and so. As such, we really want to make sure that we can position ourselves in specific ways to be seen by the audience in specific ways. Like we want to be seen as serious and trustworthy partners and at the same time, uh, energetic innovators and all that stuff. So it's a fine balance to 
it's a really fine balance to navigate. One of the things that we understand, we understood really, really quickly was that content and design and quality content, like journalistic editorial content was going to be one key to position ourselves. So, and again, content is the key of, of everything. Content means a whole lot of different things. It can be editorial, can be a blog, can be doing your website is content, your social media is content. But for us, like we really understood that quality first content, like editorial style is really nice design that would help not just illustrate, but articulate the storytelling was really going to be a, a, a tactic or a key strategy that was going to be important for us. Um, today, uh, we really like bringing content more as a medium rather than like a tactic in itself. Um, and then we had a layer of that strategy on top of it. One thing that's super important for us is a voice to the customer. Um, again, principle-based marketing, the best people to talk about the brand and the product and the people are actually using it. Um, and so we, we've done a lot of work kind of bringing the voice to the customer in everything that we do, whether it's like through external platforms, um, in our website, uh, on our blog, uh, content, social media, newsletter communications. So not necessarily a tactic or channel, but really kind of a strategy that then layers in into everything that we do. Mm, I love that. Everything starts with a strategy at the end of the day. It's almost like you can't build a house without the blueprint. You have to have that strategy in place to really have success in what you build. Mm, 100%. So when you say content and producing content, obviously with that strategy, are there any marketing metrics in particular? I mean, we all love more sales, more users, but for you uh, particularly, is there one metric that stands above the rest? Yeah. Um, it's not a metric per se, but a ratio. I think the most impactful ratio for marketers is MQL to SQL. Why? Because for the longest time, performance marketer was just measured on the top of the funnel, which is like, okay, how many of these are, are you bringing? What's, 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 what's the number? What's the number? What's the number, what's the number of trials? Right? Um, and that's like MQLs most of the time. Some, some business will call it leads, some other will call it PQL. Um, I'm PQL. That's, that's how it is. Um, and then you have the SQL, which is, okay, sales say that best check, that's a good lead. I'm ready to actually tackle it and we're acting and do something with it. Um, and this person is likely going to convert, right? It also correlates with a higher probability of closing. The, what a lot of ex organization experiences is a disconnect between the two of them where mm -hmm. Because marketers are so measured on numbers of quantity, right? Number mm -hmm. of leads, and sales is not, is measured on the revenue, right? Which correlates with the SQLs. Um, you'll have this kind of like friction point that's very typical within businesses, right? So that's going to be marketers being like, "Well, I'm providing with so many leads. What are you doing with them?" And then sales be like, "Well, I mean, your leads are really bad." <laughs> and you're just in the middle and then you're the head of marketing. You're like, oh, what am I doing with that? Um, if the whole organization and specifically marketers look at the ratio of MQL to SQLs on top of the numbers, then you're in business. Because what it does is it encompasses the capacity of your marketing to produce great leads and to actually for, to, for them to have value to your business. So it, it really highlights like not just the quantity, but the quality of the, the funnel. Um, and it also takes in consideration 
all the more indirect attribution effect of good marketing, right? Like influence, you can't calculate influence. Actually, you can. If your, great, if your business has great influence and your marketing has great influence in the funnel, wherever, wherever it is, you're going to accelerate your, your ratio to stages, right? Because it's, you're going to provide better leads that are more mature. You're going to provide, you know, sales enablement content that are going to allow your BDRs or your sales specialists to convert those MQL better to SQLs, like your brand, the size of the logos, like all these things are really kind of, can be really encompassing to those ratios. So it's not so much like MQL or SQL. It's like really, I think the, the, the ratios and stages are super, 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 super key. Um, and it expresses a little bit also this idea of looking at marketing as a little more than like a last click lead generation stuff. Mm, absolutely. One aspect you mentioned that really rings the bell is that influence piece, that branding piece. Uh, having a really good brand usually leads to more or better quality leads. So if somebody is listening that wants to really build their brand online, whether it be a new brand or maybe a brand that's needing some work to get a little bit more relevance in the marketplace, what sort of advice would you give the listener looking to build that brand and get that influence and then ultimately more leads or more uh, MQLs or SQLs into their pipeline? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a hard, it's a hard question to answer because there's um, a lot of finesse into finding brand um, and brand, brand fit. Um, there's a model that I like to use, which was um, used by a, a, an old colleague of mine, so I'm not going to take credit for it. Um, <laughs> but um, we, I made it evolve a little bit. But it's the idea that your brand really resides in between three things. Number one, it's, it's your market context. So that's like how people, how the market is evolving right now. Like what are the, what are the, 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 the give and take and then the, 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 the pulling force in the market that really allow you to understand, okay, what's happening right now? Like, is it the right thing to say X or to say Y? Mm -hmm. That's number one. Number two is how people buy your product, right? So we have macro, your market, and then micro, which is like people buying your product. That's the buying behavior, which has changed so drastically recently. You know, if you're a B2C, a B2C brand, um, ultimately your buyer is going to be different than a B2B brand. Yes, still a human being buying a product, but a little bit different. Like the complexity in the buy, in the, in the, in the, in the, the, the process is going to be different. The complexity and the number of people brought it into the process is going to be different. Um, so how, like, how people buy your product or buy you, if you are the product, um, is, is, you know, are going to change a lot. And then there's your vision. It's like, what do you think is the right thing to do? And then within that, like at the intersection of all this kind of relies this, um, as, as this person, Gabriel, um, cornet, cornet a couple of years ago, that was the, the magic layer. It's like understanding of, of where your brand lies. And that's, I think is a very interesting concept. We, we, we use it that we, we use that concept that links where we, when we started, which is the market context was, open banking is really not a thing yet. Like we're kind of like trailblazing it. So nobody really understands it. Fintechs, like data consumers understand it a little bit, but banks don't really trust it because we're essentially telling them that we're going to take your data and then move it to somewhere else. Um, and then help businesses take value of that data. So really didn't like it. Um, the buying process was really complex. 
So we needed to create trust. And then our vision was that we knew that this was going to be the future of the industry, which it is today. We were right. Um, and so the strategy that came out of it was, well, the problem that came out of it was how do we create, we create trust, right? Small business of 25 people wanted to like build the future of the financial industry, which is a pretty traditional classic industry. Um, and the strategy was like trust. So from, from this business problem, we came out with a strategy, which was, okay, well, we need to make sure that Splinks is seen as a trustworthy partner. How do we do this? Well, then from it, we, you know, we put our creativity hat and then we said, okay, well, if you want to be trusted, you got to be seen with the people that are trusted, right? Because that's how you do it. Like you, you, you put yourself in a position where you're going to be speaking with the people that, that are going to be um, trustworthy. So you can kind of, you know, get the shine of the trustworthiness applied to your, your brand. Um, one of the ways that we did that was through the podcast series that we had called Flinks Connect, um, where we essentially literally sat at the same table as really influential people in the financial space. Um, we sat with the CEO of Interac, um, which is, uh, who, who was and still is Mark O'Connell at the time. Um, for the American people, Interac is the, is the payment rail, um, provides similar service to Venmo. Um, it's like the, the main payment rail for direct bank transfer in Canada. Um, we sat with uh, the president of Equifax Canada. Uh, we had a meeting with a podcast with Vivachon, the now retired CEO of National Bank of Canada. So like all that strategy was like a brand strategy. So coming back to your question about how you build a brand, you build it by really understanding the context in which we evolve. And then, and then from this strategic rigorous, disciplined approach, you can then build a strategy that actually makes sense. Rather than saying, I'm going to do X, just really ask yourself, why are you doing it? That's the most important thing. You hear that listeners? Why are you doing it? <laughs> then build a strategy around it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, so you're leading this marketing department at this really high growth company at Flinks. Uh, I'm sure you get a ton of questions from your colleagues and even peers. Uh, I'm curious though, what's maybe one question that you never get asked that you wish somebody would ask you? Oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> yeah, it's a good, it's a really, it's a really, really good question. Um, Yeah, a question that I'm not being asked often um, is why this why this specific messaging above another. I think like positioning is really like it's it's a very finical thing. It's really hard, and I feel like we're not ask we're not asking enough um, why we're making decisions on, on positioning. Um, and sometimes it can be, you know, the answer can be as simple as we're trying it out, right? We're trying it out and then we'll see if it sticks. If it sticks, great. If it's not, move something else. But I, I really, I think, I think that's one of the things that is, um, is, is um, a good question to ask a marketer because then you can really get an understanding of like the strategic thinking that leads to good marketing. And sometimes, you know, I think a lot of people think about marketing as being like people that, um, put like lipstick on the pig a little bit and kind of take decisions uh, just like that. Like, okay, yeah, I think that this is the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, positioning is one of these things where, yes, you can use framework and that stuff, but there's always a lot of interpretation. So sometimes people um, feel that positioning is a bit of a subjective 
think. Um, and I wish that I wish that asking questions about that positioning was done more often because I think it would really help with people understanding the, the really strategic thinking behind brand and brand marketing and positioning marketing. I love that you say that. I mean, positioning all the time when I talk to my clients, it's always often overlooked. It's, I always like to say positioning is like the little corner room in your uh, ideal buyer's brain. Like you ever want to occupy that space. You want to be the leader in that uh, niche or whatever uh, industry you occupy. So positioning yourself is very important uh, within that marketing strategy. And it takes some courage, right? Like it does take 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 some courage because positioning ultimately is having an opinion. Mm-hmm. Like ultimately positioning is like taking a stand and saying like, because my competitor and the market in this is X, Y, and Z, I'm going to, I'm going to do that, right? I'm going to do something different. So it takes like, it takes some courage to actually make the decision of saying like, this is what I'm seeing because X, Y, and Z in my analysis, this is what I'm doing. And this is my opinion. Um, and so I think like good marketing, it's not good leadership, content or anything. It, it, it requires like a certain level of like a, um, opinion and, and courage into the decision that you're making. Absolutely. And I think courage and authenticity also stand out. Those are some key ingredients that uh, usually help nowadays. I mean, there's so yeah. much noise online. It's very hard to dis- differentiate different brands. But if you have courage, authenticity, and a voice, you'd be off to the races. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. So what's uh, one thing I did want to ask you, though, was uh, we talked about uh, the, the different uh, metrics, the different platforms. Uh, what's maybe one thing about the fintech industry that uh, you wish would be changed, or maybe one thing that uh, um, that you're seeing that you wish would be revolutionized or innovated on? Yeah, difficult question. Um... I think it's really twofold, right? I um, I think more often than not, and that's the nature of like human beings in general, like we're really a positive, right? So it's really like it's A or B, right? It's like provider A or provider B. Um, and I think, you know, like any mature industry, you're kind of coming into a stage where it can exist multiplayers, multiple players that actually complement each other and work with each other. Um, that's something that's super interesting. I find like with more mature market, if you look at we're marketers, we'll talk about marketing. Um, you're not asking yourself like, am I going to take MailChimp or Marketo or like these are like different systems, but sometimes they can be seen a little, it's like a little the same, right? Like like an email service and then uh, automation platform. And they can work together like Mandrill on the, on the more like SMTP automated email side, retail emailing side. Like, like these things work together. Like you're not going to ask yourself, like, am I going to take um, Salesforce or Pardot? Like they're completely, they're, they're yes, they, they have automation and they all have all that stuff, but they ha- they're completely complementary. One is a, system, a marketing system, the other is a CRM system. Um, and I think it's the same, you know, this idea of like data stack, which has been very present and prevalent in the world of, of, of marketing, right? Like I was reading an intercom blog the other day. I literally was talking and asking CMOs what what were their data stack, like their MarTech data stack. Um, and I think I wish that in fintech, which is still a young industry, 
um, we had the maturity or we're getting, we would get to the point of maturity where we would understand this notion of data stack a little better. Um, you know, I think Flinks is a really, really key player in that data stack and we're doing extremely well. Um, and it's important to keep educating the clients on, yes, you can have provider A, but you can also have provider B that comes and complement your data stack to actually serve the consumer better. Because if you really are a consumer-centric brand, then you really care about that. You really care. You, only, you don't care about like the, the fight between A and B. You really care about like, okay, how they work together to serve my client better. So I think that's a, a notion that data stack, that data stack or, uh, or uh, you know, uh, technology stack um, is a notion that I, I, I see to be a common denominator of mature industries. Um, and I think we, we're getting there in the fintech world, but we still have ways to go. <laughs> get in there, get in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I only have a couple more questions here for you, uh, Simon. Um, has there been anything that we haven't touched on in the interview that you wish to share with the listeners today? No, I think that's a, that's a good interview. I'm, I'm glad that I was able to articulate some of the notions around like principle-based marketing. I think, you know, LinkedIn and all the social network, there's so many advice, like so many gurus, so many people giving you their version of what they think and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, like, here's, here's my opinion in five sentence and one sentence per line. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, um, I actually really dislike this thing. Um, I, I, um, I, uh, I think it's really important it's really important to bring back some common sense into what you do um, because that common sense then layers in the technology it layers in the data drivenness that you need to make the decision and all that stuff. Um, if you're able to do this, then you're able to make sense of all the advice that you receive. Um, and I think the best people that you can follow and instruct yourself on are the people that are bringing this common sense back into marketing or into anything that you do. Right. Um, the power in technology is to make it to make things more simple, not more complicated. So if you use technology to make your life more complicated, you're not doing it right. You, 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 you gotta use technology to bring back simplicity and then you add, you layer it in to automate scale and do all that stuff rather than just doing the opposite and always searching for like, okay, how can I add like a little, little layer into what I do? I love that. I think we found the title of the episode, Common Sense Marketing <laughs> with Simon. <laughs> no, but you're so right. It's, uh, it's all about really having that simplicity. Simplicity is powerful. I mean, you don't want to convolute, even in marketing, you don't want to, if you have copy that's very confusing or your landing page conversion is falling just because it's very muddled and people don't understand it. You just want to be simple, concise, and to the point. So Common Sense Marketing, 100%. I like that. <laughs> um, 100%. Where can our uh, listeners connect with you online if they want to have any follow-up questions or just connect? For sure. Um, LinkedIn is the best. Um, that's going to be my name, which I'm sure it's going to be in the description of that podcast. Um, I'm not going to attempt giving the pronunciation or the spelling of it because you're not going to remember. Um, <laughs> but yeah, LinkedIn is like the best way. Just shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Add me. I don't refuse anyone unless uh, I know you're going to send me something. But uh, yeah, maybe it's a great way to get connected with me. Awesome. Yeah. And Simon's right. I'll put the comments or put the link in the description so you guys can go out and reach out to him. 
Well, I really appreciate your time, Simon. Uh, I'd like to end the podcast with one more question. Uh, it is a marketing podcast. So I wanted to end the podcast off with what is one question or what is one word or phrase to describe Simon Vaz brand? So, so, sorry, Simon then? <laughs> Simon Vaz brand? <laughs> oh, well, I guess common sense marketing is a good one. <laughs> you nailed it awesome thank you so much <laughs> thank you so much hi i'm simon val you're listening to joe momo presents this episode of the cmo and joe podcast has ended but be sure to subscribe for more business strategies and tactics to help you create the profitable and successful business you've always dreamed of and don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content See you on the next episode.